0: Shabbat shalom, everyone. We're going to get right to it. In our last message, we left off at Jude chapter 1, where there's only one chapter, but verse 6, and... uh, Let's reread it just as a quick recap. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. One of the things that we discovered in looking at this is Jude is bringing information to the table that you will not find in the book of Genesis. It's not there. We discovered that he's actually drawing from a particular book known as the book of Enoch. A book that was readily available, that was studied, that was read by him and his contemporaries quite well, and even on through the generations after him, even into the early church fathers. Well, here's the thing about that book. That book records, with intimate details, the whole backstory of these angelic beings coming down and genetically crossbreeding with earthly women, and... It is important for us to get the backstory. Remember one of the things that I've told you, I think now a couple times. When Jude wrote this epistle, he wrote it with, in the mindset that these people know what I am talking about. He doesn't have to expound on certain expressions or certain statements, certain stories. He doesn't give additional details. He simply mentions it knowing they know what I'm talking about. And he brings these things to the table, like Israel in the wilderness, where God delivers them, and then brings them in and tests them in the wilderness. And then what happens? He destroys them. Well, I got to tell you, there's a boatload of, of things that transpired during this whole time. He's just giving you a very brief summary. This is no different. This is nothing but a brief summary, with the expectation you will meditate on it and you will draw from it the reality of what he's trying to convey. For us to unlock that, we're going to have to dig into the Book of Enoch a little bit today. And I assure you, as we get into this, this statement won't mean what it means to you now. I've had an interesting conversations, you know, over the years that you talk to particular Christians and they read certain passages, it just doesn't, they don't, it doesn't speak to them. And then you get in front of them and you start talking about the reality of what's behind this and their eyes get huge. And they're like, I never knew that. Now I never had that perspective. I never understood that passage. You're going to get a little bit of that today, hopefully. With that said, let's break into the book of Enoch and uh, this is what we read. And it came to pass when the children of men had multiplied that in those days there were born unto them beautiful and comely, attractive meaning daughters. Now, we're going to start out, you know, kind of on a good foot, just a fun fact. But this is virtually identical. This is a parallel statement to that of, here it is, Genesis 6.1. And it's kind of a mnemonic device. So if you ever get caught in that situation where I know Daniel quoted from the book of Enoch, he was talking about the fallen angels, where does it talk about that in the book of Enoch? Because Enoch's 108 chapters, okay? That's a lot of chapters. Where does it do that? Real simple, does it in the same place that it does in the book of Genesis. Chapter 6, verse 1, Enoch 6, verse 1. And so just a, a little fun fact, but where Genesis drops off... Enoch goes on and gives you the whole backstory, which we're going to begin right now. And this is what we read. And the angels, the children of the heaven, saw and lusted after them. Now, I want to stop here because, you know, the fact that these angels saw a woman, that's not earth shattering. That's not startling to me. In fact, you would expect that. Why? Because the angels are called the eternal watchers. These are the watchers. Do you understand? Angels are very involved in the affairs of men, watching over the affairs of men. You know, when Yeshua says in Matthew 18, he says, Don't despise one of these little ones, because you better know that their angels always see the face of my Father in heaven. And what what is Yeshua conveying? You better be careful how you're treating these little ones, because the report is going to get back to the Father. They're watchers. Angels watch. Watch. I expect to see this. This is not something abnormal. What is abnormal is that they began to fix their gaze on these women in an inappropriate way. And and with abominable hearts. They began to covet them. They began to lust after them. But it's more than that. There's a lot more to this story. As we continue, it says, And they said to one another, Come, let us choose wives from among the children of men. And what do we do? They want to beget us children. Do you understand what these fallen angels wanted? They wanted family. They wanted a wife. They wanted children. They wanted heritage. They wanted offspring. The watchers were watching what God did to mankind, how he blessed them to be fruitful and multiply. This great blessing that they have, they wanted part of it. This is what they desired. And so... He has this desire to move forward. I want to start this family. Absolutely amazing. Which point we continue. And Sam Jaza, who was their leader, said unto them, I fear ye will not indeed agree to do this deed. Oh, and I alone shall have to pay the penalty of the great sin. Unbelievable. A couple things you want to note about this statement. Number one... Sam Jaza, this leader, this angelic leader over other angels, he comes out and he confesses. He knows what they're about to gauge. Hey, we want to start a family. Sam Jaza wants to do this, but he knows it's sin, and it's not even just a regular sin. He knows it is a great sin. Therefore, he knows God has commanded you not to do this. And yet, isn't it interesting? This is what Sam Jaza wants to do now you want to talk about a mind-blowing eye-opening revelation the angels of god are given free will like we are they're given free will they're allowed to think for themselves and here's what's so scary that desire that burned in sam Jaz's heart to start a family to go the way of the wicked, in other words, to turn his back on God and to start a family, that desire grew so great, it was greater than his desire to serve God. Now, see, this is where we come into play because there's a real practical application. How many times do your desires carry you away even when you know, I shouldn't be doing this, I shouldn't partake in this, I shouldn't say this about this person? I shouldn't do this to that person. All these commandments of God that you know in there, but your desire tells you differently. And I'm going to tell you, when you let that desire speak louder than your desire for the Lord, you're a dead man. There's going to be nothing left. You think, well, we're living in a generation now that only knows how to listen to their emotions. I only know how to listen to my desires. Why do you think adultery is off the charts? Why do you think fornication is it's hardly calculable? Because men are moving, women are moving in their heart's desires. We've seen this before. This incredible situation. And so, first thing to mention, Sam Jaza knows that this is sin, so he's willingly going into this. But here's what blows my mind. What is his primary concern? It's not the sin. It's not the fact that he's desiring something more than he desires to serve the Lord. That's not his concern. His concern is that I alone shall have to pay the penalty. I don't want to do this on my own. Who's with me? See, do you you see this? This This is crazy. Sam Jaza wants to be affirmed in his desires. He wants the affirmation. Please. You other angels, affirm me in my desires. Come with me, brethren. Misery loves company, or we should say sinners love company. It feels good. We continue in verse 4. And they all answered him and said, Let us all swear an oath and all bind ourselves by mutual imprecations not to abandon this plan, but to do this thing. Isn't that interesting? Sam Jaws said, I don't want to do this alone. All the angels respond together, we will all come with you. We're with you, Samjaza. Uh, unbelievable. And then we go on to verse 5 and we read this. They swear they, then swear they all together and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. Ah, and they were in all 200. Absolutely amazing. We are given the specific number of angels that made this oath to come and to start families on earth. 200, and I'm going to tell you this, listen to me carefully. These 200 angels changed the course of history forever. Forever. You will see that today. But then it gives another detail here. Look at this. They descended in the days of Jared. Who is Jared? He's the father of Enoch, okay? Jared's the father of Enoch, Enoch, who's he give birth to? Uh, Methuselah, Methuselah, Lamech, and then Noah. You have five generations. Five generations from Jared to Noah. This is the time period of the fallen. And it's important you pay attention because it's during this time period. The reason we call the days of Noah the days of Noah is because of these angels. Do you know that? It's because of these angels. The things that they would introduce into the earth, the implications of their sin would lead to the days of Noah, would lead to a time where the earth actually would become unredeemable. That's the kind of corruption that took place on a spiritual earthly level. Absolutely incredible. Let me add to that. Yeshua says, as the days of Noah were, worse, also the coming of the Son of Man be." It would do you well to know the information we're going to be covering today talks all about the days of Noah. You want to know about what Yeshua is talking about as the days of Noah were? book of Enoch records exactly what those days look like. And isn't it interesting, I'll say this again, that this book and this generation is making a revival. I don't see that as a coincidence. I see that very much, uh, the Lord's hand in that. Now, moving on, we read this. And all the daughters together with them took unto themselves, uh, and all the others together with them took unto themselves wives, and each chose for himself one. And they began to go into them and to defile themselves with them, and they taught them charms and enchantments and the cutting of roots and made them acquainted with plants. Oh, so here's the thing it wasn't enough that they came and totally genetically mutilated God's ordained structure in his plan. And they took earthly wives and they began to start families. Oh, it goes way beyond that. Now they begin to teach them eternal secrets that men were never meant to know. Information we were never meant to have, knowledge we were not to receive, is now being doled out en masse. It's spreading across the earth. Again, I tell you, take notice because it was in these generations with the revelation of these angels bringing special knowledge that technology grew in those days, that that medical advancements grew in the days of Noah. Now you might want to look out your front window today and recognize we are now again living in a generation like never before with technological advancements, with medical advancements. It's crazy. And we're we're even getting to the point of, of literally genetically bringing human embryos and growing them together with monkey embryos. I'm not making this up. This is literally happening. This is open news. Genetically modifying things. We are seeing that kind of activity happening right now. And see, here's the thing, the world during those days, during the days of Noah, during the time of the fallen, they were seeking knowledge, they ate it up, they loved it, just as we see people do today. I mean, it's invigorating, it's riveting to people. It's somehow, humanity believes that it's so accomplished. You can go back in history and you can study certain points in time like the Renaissance or uh, the Enlightenment Age where their flesh was so gratified with this pursuit and accomplishment of knowledge. And it's amazing as you dig into those realities, there's certain men that made these advancements like Dr. John Dee who sought what he would say was angels. He was getting special revelation from angels. I'm not making this up. When in fact, these were the fallen. They were not godly angels revealing to them good knowledge. He was receiving knowledge that was not to be given to him. This is what happened in the days of Noah. They were getting all of this knowledge. And I'm going to tell you right now, and you'll see this. Through acquiring all that knowledge, this is what brought the earth to the deluge. This is what brought it to the flood. Now we move on, and we see in verse 2, we read this. And they became pregnant, and they bear great giants. These are the Nephilim, whose height was 3,000 elves, who consumed all the acquisitions of men. And when men could no longer sustain them, the giants turned against them and devoured mankind. This is what you get. When you bring angelic beings, you introduce them, they want to start families with with women of earth, and now they bear the fruit. Those children that came forth, when you introduce something that was never meant to be introduced into this universe, into this world, what happens? Chaos. Violence. Hamas. Hamas. The very thing that Genesis talks about, the very thing that the book of Enoch talks about, war breaks out. Total hell is unleashed. See, this is is the problem with sin. The fruit of sin is chaos. The fruit of sin is torment. The fruit of sin is death. It's murder. Jumping forward, we read this. And now the giants who are produced from the spirits and flesh, which is to say from angels and from women, shall be called evil spirits upon the earth, and on the earth shall be their dwelling. Evil spirits have proceeded from their bodies because they are born from men and from the holy watchers. Their beginning and primal origin, they shall be evil spirits on the earth, and evil spirits they shall be called. So you want to know why when we get into the New Testament, it talks about evil spirits. Yeshua conquering these evil spirits. He has power over them. The Apostle Paul, because Yeshua lives in him, has power over evil spirits. Where did these evil spirits come from? The fallen. The fallen angels. It's the Proto So. In other words, you got to think of it this way. When Angels came and started a family with earthly women. They bore Giants and what this is saying is is when this giant of flesh came out a spirit also came out of the giant in other words You're giving birth to twins You're giving birth to that which is a flesh because it's a flesh and you're also giving birth to the spirit because it's also a spirit being and So these giants of flesh are coming out and what proceeds out of them are evil spirits now understand something I mean, this is before the time of the flood. This stuff happened in the days of Jared. And you want to know the implications of this sin? We're still feeling the effects of it today, to this very day. See, because the evil spirits were not destroyed in the flood. They were around in Yeshua's day. He had to deal with them. And let me show you why this is problematic for us today. Today. And the spirits of the giants, they afflict, they oppress, they destroy, they attack, do battle, work destruction on the earth and cause trouble. They take no food, but nevertheless hunger and thirst and cause offenses. And these spirits shall rise up against the children of men and against the women because they've proceeded from them. In other words, they're ready to unleash hell on us. They're coming to battle against us. They hate you. They absolutely hate you. This is the product of that sin of these fallen angels and the fruit of that sin. So this is something that is not just a nice little history lesson as we go to the book of Enoch and say, you know, at one time angels fell, you know, and did this. No, no, no. This is reality. It's a reality to this day. Enoch 8 verse 1, we go back and Azazel, he's an angel, taught men to make swords, and knives and shields and breastplate, and made known to them the metals of the earth and the art of working them and bracelets and ornaments and the use of anemone and the beautifying of the eyelids and all kinds of costly stones and all coloring tinctures. Just total insane revelation being dumped out on mankind, showing them how to make war, showing them all these things they're not to know. Does this sound familiar to you? It's because it sounds like the Garden of Eden story all over again. When Satan was tempting Eve, what did he get her to do? Go look at, look at the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Gain knowledge. God knows that if you eat of this tree, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be enlightened. Your eyes are going to be opened. You will be like God. You will ascend. I mean, this is the delusion that is on these scientists perverting the ways of God today. They're filled totally with delusion, having evil spirits hissing in their ear, revealing all sorts of things they would have never found out on their own. And it's really something. Verse 2, we read this, and there arose much godlessness because of this. Because the implementation, when you, when you implement or you introduce all this knowledge that you're never supposed to have, hell is coming. Godlessness is breaking out. And they committed fornication, something you would expect in the days of Noah, the very days Yeshua is going to come back to, one of the things you've got to expect is going to be filled with fornication. Are we filled? Is the earth filled right now with fornication? You've got to be kidding me. I don't know how much more it can take. It's fornication. And they were led astray and became corrupt in all their ways. Sam Jaza, whom you know, taught enchantments. Root cuttings, Amaros, the resolving of the enchantments, Barakiel, taught astrology, Kokobel, the constellations, Ezekiel, the knowledge of the clouds. Now we're getting into meteorology, or nephology, I think they call it. Erekiel, the signs of the earth, Shamsiel, the signs of the sun, Seriel the course of the moon. They're just dumping this knowledge, and, and mankind is soaking it in. Just soaking it in. Verse 6. Thou seest what Azazel hath done, how, uh, who hath taught all unrighteousness on earth and revealed the eternal secrets which were preserved in heaven, which men were striving to learn. And Samjaza, to whom thou hast given authority to bear rule over his associates, and they have gone to the daughters of men upon the earth and have slept with the woman and have defiled themselves, oh, and revealed to them all kinds of sins." This is the problem. As you get into this, you see all the effects of these fallen angels teaching man things they should not have ever taught them. Verse 2 and 64. I heard a voice of the angel saying, these are the angels who descended to the earth and revealed what was hidden to the children of men and seduced the children of men into committing sin. Do you get that? Seduced the men, into committing sin. There was demonic influence. It's completely demonic. Okay, so this is not a situation angels simply coming down, as I said, starting a wonderful family. This is about taking mankind to the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which Hasatan took Eve to. Now, I, I got to tell you right now, the education system in this country is sickening. I just talked to a gentleman uh, last week, about a situation. He works in the public school system, uh, third, fourth, and fifth graders. And he noticed a book on the table in class. And it caught his eye because it, it had something about sex. And so he goes and opens this book, and he is scarred. He was actually scarred by the, the pushing of this LGBT. And it, this is a graphic book. This is not a book just simply talking about the body parts. This is a book getting explicitly into disgusting, abominable behavior in detail with pictures. He takes this book and tells them, uh, we, do we really want this book out? These are third, fourth, fifth grade. These kids are far too young. They should not be looking at this. High schoolers shouldn't be looking at this. They called the meeting, brought him in. They wanted to fire this is, this is This is the garbage and the filth. Of the knowledge that is being perpetuated. We are not supposed to see these things. Your kids are not supposed to see these things. Do not allow them to go eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is garbage. And then they want to paint you as an ignorant person. This is disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. This is the garbage that is happening in those days. And now it's happening right now. Because we're living in the days of Noah. That's where we're at. And so continuing on, verse 6, this is what we read. And command has gone forth from the presence of the Lord concerning those who dwell on the earth, that their ruin is accomplished. In other words, talking about earth, the, the, mankind. Their ruin is accomplished. It's fulfilled. The, the sins have come. The cup is full now. Why? Because they have learned all the secrets of the angels and all the violence of the Satans and all their powers, the most secret ones, and all the power of those who practice sorcery and the power of witchcraft and the power of those who make molten images for the whole earth. Total corruption. You know, I read this list. This, This is where we're at. Witchcraft is abundant. Pharmacia is out of control. Do I need to say More. And you can see this stuff that's going on, we're there. And so I, you know, I wish I was reading simply history rather than front page headlines. But that's not the case as we go through this. Verse 11, and these angels, they have no place of repentance forever because they have shown them what was hidden and they are damned. Heavy words. No place of repentance because they did this they are damned eternally I think of this and I can't help but think of Yeshua's words in Matthew 18 where he says whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea this is Yeshua's heart you mess with his children you corrupt them you show them things they are not supposed to know. You compel them to sin as these fallen angels had done. It'd be better if a millstone was hung on your neck. Yeshua's heart is, you're good as dead. You're a dead man. And this is what these angels are only now recognizing. Enoch. Thou scribe of righteousness, go, declare to the watchers of heaven, who have left the high heaven, the holy eternal place, and have defiled themselves with women, and have done as the children of earth do, and have taken unto themselves wives. Ye have wrought great destruction on the earth. And how did they do this? It's not just by starting a a wonderful little family. It was by revealing the eternal secrets, hidden knowledge, and totally corrupting the earth. And then it says this, ye shall have no peace nor forgiveness of sins. So here's the deal. You want to put in context what Jude says when he's starting to talk about angels that didn't keep their proper domain, but he's reserved them in everlasting chains under darkness, waiting to the judgment of the great day. Do you you want to know the bullseye he's trying to hit, the mark intended, what you need to walk away with? It's this. This is what we're supposed to uh, extract from the passage. No forgiveness. And that's a sobering thought, I got to tell you. Do you notice how, and I didn't put them up here side by side, but when we covered verse 5 in regard to Israel, you'll notice Jude puts that Israel experience back to back with this experience in regard to this event uh, about the angels. These are back-to-back stories. you got to see how brilliant Jude is. Because that in and of itself is telling a story. Because what I can tell you is that both of these stories are saying the same thing. The exact same thing, just different characters. And, And let me explain what I mean. In Israel... Israel knew God. They saw his power. They experienced his miracles. They saw his wonders. They saw his compassion. They saw his grace. They were released by the blood of the lamb. They were saved. They were delivered. They were brought in the wilderness and they were tested. And when God told them, go take the land, they said, no, we're not going to take the land. And what did God say? Well, God sent Moses to tell them, we're done. I will waste you in the wilderness and there'll be nothing left. And your children will go in and inherit the land. He took that generation and wiped them out. But they knew God. They were with them. They heard his voice. They went into covenant with him. Isn't that amazing? And then when they tell, the Lord tells them, go and take the land, they say no. And then he comes back and says, well, then I'm going to waste you. Guess what Israel does? This is interesting because you're going to see this unfold in a moment. Israel says, well, I changed my mind. I changed my mind. In, in light of those words, Lord... I'm going to change my mind. We will go up and take the land. Too late. Too late. It isn't going to happen. And now Jude brings this story back to back with that story. A story of angelic beings who are immortal. They are immortal. They dwelt in the presence of God. They worshipped him in his infinite glory. They followed his commandments, going out, doing his bidding. Until the day that they didn't. And now the message of the Lord has come to them. I'm done. There will be no forgiveness. Well, now we're going to see they're going to respond exactly like Israel responded. Then I went and spake to them all together. And they were all afraid and fear and trembling seized them. You know, when Moses spoke to Israel, these harsh words of the Lord, this is how Israel responded. Go back and read it. Numbers 14. They mourned. They were weeping. They were terrified. And now these angels receive the word of the Lord, and they are terrified. You want to understand, listen to me carefully, the scariest part of this entire story that sends chills up and down my spine. The scariest part is that Sam Jaza and the rest of the angels never believed for one moment that they would lose eternal life by going to the sin. They didn't believe it. You can go back and reread the story a hundred times. It's not there. They didn't believe that. That wasn't their concern. They were concerned about, oh, there there could be punishment. Never did the issue come in. Will we be banished forever? We will lose immortality. We will be separated from God forever. That never came up. Well, there's a real lesson here for us. Because this is what happens when your desires of your own flesh and your own heart start speaking louder than your desires for the Lord. Your mind will become clouded. You will not have discernment. You will, be not, you will not think clearly. These angels were not thinking clearly. And now it's going to cost them everything. And well, we move and we read this in verse 4. And they besought me to draw up a petition for them that they might find forgiveness and to read their petition in the presence of the Lord of heaven. It makes sense because God is a God of mercy. God is a God of love. He's a God of grace. And again, these angels never expected to to get this kind of response from the Lord. They have seen his compassion. They've seen how long-suffering he is. And so, they move and they want forgiveness. They're going to beg for forgiveness. Verse 5, we read this. For from thenceforward, they could not speak with him, nor lift up their eyes to heaven, For shame of their sins, for which they had been condemned. Now the first thing we want to get before we get deeper into this is I want you to recognize they couldn't speak with God anymore. Notice who's mediating this. Enoch is mediating between angelic beings and mankind. And now he's bringing this message. And basically understand, there's no more communication because what happens when you sin? Something that we totally get consumed and deluded about. Total delusion, we fall into this mass delusion that if we go sin, everything's going to be okay, just like these angels. No, it separates you from God, Isaiah 59. Jeremiah 7 talks about, he says, you know, the Lord tells Jeremiah, don't you dare pray for Israel, don't pray for this generation. They're wicked, I will not hear those prayers. Isaiah 1 comes out and the Lord says, though you make many prayers, I'm not going to hear. See, because we learn in the Gospel of John chapter 9 that God only hears the righteous. The blind man, as he's teaching, he goes out and teaches the Pharisees after Yeshua heals him. He actually says, God doesn't hear sinners. I mean, that's verbatim. God does not hear sinners. But if anyone believes in him, if anyone does his will, he hears him. That's how he hears him. That's that communication. And so, you know, these angels didn't recognize that the sin would cut them off. We don't recognize this. And this is something we need to be reminded of constantly. Now moving ahead. Then I wrote out their petition and the prayer in regard to their spirits and their deeds. Individually and in regard to the request that they should have forgiveness and length, as in length of days. Immortality. Keep our immortality intact. And so Enoch does this. He brings the petition before the Lord and the Lord responds to him in a vision, a powerful vision. Enoch takes this information and he goes back and this is what we read. I wrote out your petition and in my vision it appeared thus that your petition will not be granted unto you throughout all the days of eternity and that judgment has been finally passed upon, your, uh, yea, your petition will not be granted to you, despite these angels Weeping and begging for forgiveness. Guess what? It's not going to happen. And I am confronted here with something I don't even want to acknowledge. I'm just telling you up front. In my flesh, I don't want to acknowledge. What you are seeing here is you are seeing a merciful God who will not show mercy. That is a thought I never want to go. These are thoughts we don't want to think about. Christianity doesn't want to think about why? That's not very encouraging. Is it? I mean, that doesn't encourage me. How does that help me? Oh, it helps. It helps more than you know. Why do you think Jude brought it to the table? Why do you think he brought Israel coming, into the, coming out of Egypt that he delivered only to waste them in the wilderness? He's a merciful God at, in that context who didn't show mercy even though they changed their mind and they wanted to go up and take the land. And now we have this angelic example, this event. When God doesn't change the fact that he's merciful. But he isn't showing mercy. Not here. Not in this context. You know, when Jude brings something like this to the table, that, this is why I'm telling you this will change your religion real quick, if it need be. This will change your faith really quick, if need be. These realities, you know, most it's, it's interesting. You can read something like, oh, you know, these are about angels. This really doesn't pertain to me. These are about the angelic beings, and, and God took care of them. They, they knew better. They shouldn't have done that anyways. Why is Jude bringing this to the table? He's telling you it matters. You better take counsel over what God did and his character, and it will literally scare the devil out of you. When, you, when, you, when you're confronted with this, this will change how you think this will change. You know what? That sin doesn't look so appealing after all. Because I don't want to be that person who hears what these angels are hearing. That there isn't going to be any forgiveness. I don't want to hear that. Psalm 103, 17 says, but the mercy, forgiveness, right? The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. They fear, and I'm going to tell you right now, it's only, it's by the fear of the Lord one departs from evil. How many times have you heard me say, remove the fear of God and you will run to sin. Guaranteed, you will fall into it every time if you don't have the fear of the Lord. So those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, oh, and to those who remember his commandments to do them, I'm done. You know, I, I really am done with, with getting into the conversation. His law is done away with. His commandments don't matter. That is such nonsense. That is anti-grace message. And yet it's being propelled and pushed on us as though that, that is a grace message. No, it's not. It's an anti-grace. The way I get to receive grace is running to his commandments. You know, the law of God will never take you to the place where the grace of God cannot keep you. Period. God's way, God's path will never take you to a place where his grace can't cover you. Titus 2.11, I love this, for the grace of God that uh, brings salvation has appeared to all men. And what does it do? Grace, true grace, holy grace, faithful grace. It teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we're to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. I'm to be instructed by it. These are people who are instructed by grace. They're running to the commandments. They glory in them. They revel in them. They exalt. They talk of them when they sit in the house, when they walk by the way, when they lie down, when they rise up. That's what they do. His word is everything to them. Going back to Enoch... Pushing ahead. And from henceforth you shall not ascend into heaven unto all eternity. And in bonds of the earth the decree has gone forth to bind you for all the days of the world, and that previously you shall have seen the destruction of your beloved sons, and ye shall have no pleasure in them, but they shall fall before you by the sword. And your petition on their behalf shall not be granted, nor yet on your own. Oh my goodness, now guess what I just learned? This petition wasn't just about the angels. The angels who had wanted a family and had children, they're now begging God to have mercy on their children. Another lesson here that is debilitating. Sin will cost you everything. The things you value, you will lose everything this is so scary. As, as you read into this, you're like, how can this be? How can this be? A merciful God not showing mercy? How do I wrap my head around that? It goes on. Even though you weep and pray, you know, I think of Esau. He wept, he sought, repentance diligent, he couldn't find it. Constantly weeping, here, though you weep and pray and speak all the words contained in the writing which I have written, it isn't going to matter. It isn't going to matter. The angels of God are experiencing no hope. No hope. Why is Jude bringing this into my world? Why would he do this? It messes with me. But I'm going to tell you, it messes with me in a very holy and purified way where it purifies the sin. The things that you don't have the strength to overcome, you just grab onto some of these stories and, wow, magically, I feel stronger. I'm more motivated. Clarity is coming to my mind over the penalty of sin for me to habitually rebel against God and to say, I'm okay, because I said a prayer. I go to church every week. No, I go to Shabbat service. Every Sabbath, I'm so saved. And yet you're practicing sin in the dark corners of your heart, in the dark corners of your mind. You have perverse thoughts, murderous thoughts in your heart, unforgiveness, bitterness. You don't love your neighbor as yourself. There's there's a great delusion. A great delusion that's going to cross. And I, I think about Yeshua's words. They're all over the Gospel of Matthew and he talks about it in Matthew 24, Matthew 25. He talks about it in Matthew 8, where, example, the, 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 the Roman centurion, he, he comes out and he baffles Yeshua. It says Yeshua marveled at his faith. He had such great faith. And Yeshua turns around he starts looking at the crowd and says, Surely I say to you, many will come from, from the east and the west, the north and the south. They will come and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These Gentiles from all over the world, they'll come and sit down. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out. And what does he say? There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It will be tormented with the hell and the fear and the terror that there's no hope. That the merciful God isn't going to show them mercy. You're never going to get away with sin, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? These are radical, as it would appear to themselves at least, radical Christian believers who dedicated their lives to the service of the Lord to go out proclaim the, the holy name of Jesus. This is what we're going to do. This is who we are. And now they're sitting before Yeshua at the last day. And this is what he says. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you have practiced lawlessness. <laughs> the same thing Israel was told in the wilderness. Even after they said, no, I beg you, please show mercy. We will, go. we will now go up and take the land. Let us go. No. You will rot in the wilderness. The angels begging for mercy to a merciful God who is faithful. And God says, No. There will be no forgiveness. And now you have Matthew 7 at the end of the age, and you have all these Christians that testify, that know him, they confess him. And they're expecting to get in the kingdom of heaven, he's going to say, I don't know you. And they're going to start weeping and crying and wailing and begging for forgiveness, and there isn't going to be any. And the reason is, is because they didn't embrace grace. Grace didn't teach them. They walked in lawlessness, and they said, I'm okay. It's okay. The angels thought they were okay. They didn't think they were going to lose eternal life. There's a pattern that Jude is bringing to the table that absolutely terrifies me. You need to let this sink in. You know, we're coming into Passover tonight. This is the time. You do not want to celebrate Passover without getting the leaven out of your heart, without getting the sin, those things that you're having, struggles. You, today, you're going to take anything away from this message. Just take this. Today is the day to Repent. Today is the day to become, as Eric, when he was praying, up here praying, to be crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. That means total submission to his way, to his thoughts, to his mind. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. There is hope for every one of you right now. I know that. I can't say that tomorrow. Because I don't know who's going to be here and who isn't. And so I can't give a a stronger message than this, that you need to make the decision to follow Yeshua, to confess him, to literally walk in his ways, to abandon sin, to confess sin. You do that. I can assure you, and you can take solace in this, God will forgive you. He will bring you into his kingdom. He will embrace you if it's done with a pure heart. If you mean it this time. And so this is this is as serious as it gets. We are living in a generation right now. I just got to tell you, you know, if there ever was a situation that merited the expression, uh, this isn't a game. It's this generation. It's the generation we're in right now. This is not a game. We have evil spirits going out seducing men. We have total fornication taking over the globe. We have doctrinal disarray everywhere. Where theology has become so murky, people don't know up from down. They don't spend time in the word. They don't spend time in prayer. Because there's so many things they're distracted with in the world. You've got to get rid of the distractions. You've got to get rid of the sin. You've got to get clear-headed. You've got to have some context that know that I'm telling you right now, if you don't get out of your sin, you're not going to make it. We need to embrace God's holy word, and this is grace, and this is mercy. You know, the reality is Jude is laying out mercy, scaring the devil out of us. And man, I am thankful for this little, tiny, powerful book that speaks life. Amen?